This week on Trek Mary Kill. Paluku! Rations proof? Next. The Bajorans are taking back the station. I wouldn't blame anyone for getting out now while you can. Come with us. We can't just let the Cardis have the wormhole. Cisco and the crew prepare for the final battle. How can you sit and wait for them to attack? Daddy's a martyr. Alive, he seals our victory. Now a dangerous mission. The last hope. We'll never outrun them in this. You're right. Just point at them and fire. Everything in all our war on the next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Trek. Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast that examines all the evidence before taking a vote. <laughs> We're concluding the first three-parter in Star Trek history, Deep Space Nine's Circle Trilogy, I guess you could call it. The Siege is the third episode in that trilogy. Uh, it's also the third episode of Deep Space Nine's second season. It debuted in syndication October 10th, 1993, written by Michael Piller, directed by Kate Mulgrew's future boyfriend, Vinrick Kolb. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh, Jesus. Uh, he also went by Rick Kolb, so maybe we could just call him Rick okay. Kolb. Rick. Uh, he also directed part one, which we discussed a couple weeks back, The Homecoming. He had some strong feelings about this episode, which I'll mention maybe later. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention last week, and it, it actually has driven me nuts the entire time. Only me. How do you distinguish a three-parter in like Star Trek history? At the beginning of each episode, when there's a two-parter, it's like uh, Majel Barrett would be like, and now the conclusion, which is what she says in this episode. But last week she said, and now the continuation. Yeah. Never, <laughs> that had never been said before. So yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> so I just thought that was cool. I need to point that out right now. This episode though, the siege is the one we're discussing. Uh, Memory Alpha describes it. Cisco tries to prevent the Circle from taking the station. Kira and Dax take proof to the Bajoran government that the, Card- that the Cardassians are the real force that is arming the Circle. Uh, and a spoiler alert on this one, if you're just following our podcast and not watching it, this is the episode where Lee Nollis dies. So- Aww. <laughs> he helps Cisco and the Circle. It's just oh. like the end of West Side Story. <laughs> Uh, Lee Nollis helps Cisco and the Starfleet personnel who stay behind to hold down the station long enough to get this evidence of Cardassian involvement down to Bajor. Now, why they couldn't just send a subspace message or like send a probe down? uh, Yeah, Yeah, because they said that Bajor had cut all frequencies, had gone into a global blackout. So I could get that a subspace message might not get through. But we're also talking about Starfleet, which has transporter technology and interstellar probes that go into like suns and do all this cool shit. So you have to really kind of allow that they're saying like we're we're giving a lot of modern strictures on the storyline to make it relevant and real. But uh, in any case, Lean Aulis believes in this fight for Bajor, doesn't want, you know, a, a coup that overthrows the provisional government and gives power over to the circle that's being armed by the Cardassians foments a real civil war. Like that violence is not going to just magically go away because the circle won. And that lays the stage for Cardassia to come back and reconquer them. Um, anyway, killing off Lee Nollis. Good call. Bad call. What do you think, Kristen? Good call. <laughs> Get him out of here. <laughs> 
he was a reluctant hero in in you know as of episode two, but in episode one we learned it was you know the legend of his uh, resistance was a, sort of a fabricated tale. Although, as you rightly pointed out, Kristen, not that much of a fabrication. He did kill no. the guy everyone thought he, he killed. Did. He did. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He just didn't think it was all that glamorous. Uh, yeah. So, so he wasn't as cool. He wasn't well, cool know, he, as shit. He killed a guy because his life was in danger, and then just turned out that guy was more important than he thought. Yeah, and well, he, he still killed him. Yeah, presumably he had killed many other Cardassians yeah. in his time. So, <laughs> it's so it's kind of. I, I guess I'm in the middle about Lee Nollis uh, being killed off. Not because of the performance, I although I do think actually wow. this is his best performance of the three episodes. Sure, sure. Richard Baker, but uh, he's kind of a, a whatever character. But anyway, let's bring Peter Allen Fields in, who I, I I talked up in last week's episode. He wrote episode two, and of episode three, he said. Uh, it seemed to me that killing him would just send us back to square one. Why spend three episodes with this guy and then let him die? You're back as if he'd never been around. We could have written the whole thing without him. Uh, and then the showrunner, Iris Stephen Bear, counters this by saying there were two primary reasons for killing him off. One, to complete his arc, there had to be a moment of true sacrifice and heroism. And then the quote is, I just felt that this was a man who was living a lie and at the end, there needed to be a form of redemption, one that involves some self-sacrifice. Let's put a pin in that. I know, Ira Bear. And then two, the producers didn't want to make Lee a recurring character because they weren't sure if they would be able to afford to bring back actor Richard Bamer in the future. That's why in the third season, later on, they're going to introduce this Minister Shakar character uh, who will basically serve as the function that Lee Nollis would have served as. So... I don't know. Let's revisit this point by Arabear. He was living a lie, and at the end, there needed to be a form of redemption, one that involves some sacri- self-sacrifice. I don't think he was living that big of a lie. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He really did spend all that time in a prison camp. Like that enough is, you know, he was a resistance hero. Yeah, like, he was. I mean, <laughs> like the legend. Like he didn't dispel the the notion that he didn't like disprove it or shout it down in the moment when he was living it, which happened prior to him being in the camp. So it's, I don't know. It's like a weird, did they fully think this through or this was like a, we have an idea. We need to get this show into production because the production train's about to start. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. So there is that element of this. The other element of this, that on rewatching kind of stuck with me is we've got these Bajoran patrol ships that create the cliffhanger at the end of episode two. And they're coming from Bajor and they're going to be there in seven hours. And these, these are basically the Bajoran militias. Now they've sided with the circle because the circle looks like they're going to be the legitimate ruling body in the next mm-hmm. vote or whatever. And the top of this episode, they're like important to point out, not based on like some ideological, ideological convictions or something. It's just like, Oh, looks like these guys are going to be it. Yes. But then in the top of this episode, they make it clear that, you know, in the first scene, they're like, these people have been sworn. Like they hate us. They want to kill us. Like they're bloodthirsty and blood hungry. And I'm like, 
there's no evidence of that. There is we yeah. get we hear in episode two, there's like some vague like shots in the background or like we hear some battles, but we don't see it. There's like two elements of this we don't see. We never see a truly feckless uh, provisional government representative to, mm-hmm. to legitimize the claims being made by Franklin Jell's character. And then we don't really see any anti-Bajoran violence or inner sect violence um, happening. We always get is the graffiti. Mm-hmm. And then and then Jake the can't mild, go on his date. The mild graffiti. Yes, the mild graffiti. And then Jake can't go on his date with that one girl. And and that's the extent of it. But not like, you know, these these earthers or whatever are, you know, garbage and we should kill them on site, which is the implication or what what's stated at the top of this episode. So it's kind of weird. Like the Jeopardy is like very sudden. It's like, oh, OK, now they're the Bajorans are the enemies. It's very bizarre. In, in that way, it's like, but you have to kind of go with it. So to that end, let's bring in our uh, our Tim Lynch, who is our Deep Space Nine uh, review expert as of just this trilogy, I guess. Uh, I have a short snippet from his review. He says of the siege overall, I'd have to put the siege smack in with most of TNG's cliffhanger resolutions. Not bad in and of itself, but coming up short when compared to its buildup. The Best of Both Worlds Part 2 suffered from it a bit, and most of the recent other cliffhangers have had far more serious problems from Redemption Part 2 to Descent Part 2. These are TNG episodes. The Siege had some difficulties, but not enough to keep it from being a good show by itself. Well, Uh, so this was actually my favorite of the three. Oh. I enjoyed this one more than the other two. There's probably a very good reason for that. <laughs> I'm going to drill okay, down into yeah. in a second. We, we here. Might, yeah, we might get to it in the podcast that we host about That's Star right. Trek. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it turns out, yes, I, I have similar feelings. Uh, Memory Alpha, some notes for that from there. The Siege was the most demanding episode of the season for the special effects team. Gary Hutzel commented, it was a very big show. It had, it had an odomorph. It had two odomorphs. Uh, miniature mm-hmm. photography combined with live action, a big phaser battle and a flying dogfight, which amounts to a lot of effects. He told that to Cinefantastique. Uh, the Palaku spider model was a favorite of prop master Joe Longo. <laughs> Longo commented, the effects guy found that. He was going by a garage sale and got it for about two bucks. It wasn't hairy at the time. It was a plastic spider and mechanical, and it wasn't scary or ugly, just big. And then they basically turned it into a spider dog. Yeah, <laughs> which you see for two seconds and, mm-hmm. and it's cool. It's like one of the rare times that Star Trek ventures into having a creature. On, yeah. And the fact that it was like just kind of thrown out there. Like an aside was really like cool. if it were on screen any longer, it would have not held up to scrutiny probably. But it was just like and then that was gone. Sold by Terry Farrell's reaction to it. And it's great. Um, now, I'm admitting some hypocrisy here in this next little note here. We ask two questions in our show about tropes, the best and worst Trek tropes. Mm-hmm. So you would think that I would be down with talking about TV tropes, but I do not like the TVTropes.com website. I think it's kind of encouraged people, especially people who maybe aren't uh, creative minded, to reduce storytelling down to a math problem. Uh, which is annoying. Uh, Congratulations. You figured out how to measure something. 
Now go yeah. paint a landscape, be inspired and translate that into something. I don't know. All that said, I don't mean to be critical uh, too much or especially of people who are like more left brain or just like, I look at things through this filter. That's not the issue. I guess it's just like, if you make everything into a trope, then you're reducing it down into, I don't know, in a, some, in a way that's less impressive. You're, you're, you know, the sum is greater than its parts or you're kind of inverting that, right? You're saying that the, the parts are as good as it gets in a way. And it's kind of reductive in an absurd way. Anyway, all that said, I was looking for reviews of these episodes and I came across that TV tropes, maybe they stopped doing this. It seemed like it would have cost them a lot of money, but they started like doing TV reviews through <clears throat> their filter. They started TV troping, uh, writing reviews of episodes and then listing all the tropes in each episode, which is kind of an interesting that for them. I think that's a good format. Um, I didn't check and see if they did it for like if they're still doing it or anything like that. But I found these three episodes. And I just wanted to point out, did just a little counting. They recorded 26 tropes, television writing tropes in The Homecoming, so part one, 28 in part two, The Circle, and a whopping 52 in The Siege. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. That's a lot. So. By my uh, math, almost double. <laughs> so I suspect this has something to do with it being written by Michael Piller, who's the unsung hero of 90s Trek. Uh, this was his eighth written episode of the series, but before that he had done like wise guy and, and he just done like a lot of television writing, although mm -hmm. he died young. So, I mean, he died like when he was 57, which is very sad, uh, but he leaves behind an incredible legacy of writing the ship for star Trek, uh, writing it in like right side up, but also writing it <laughs> into what it became. And also he uh, really, was a mentor to a lot of people. A lot of showrunners came out of working under him, like under his tutelage. And he was basically a cold distant father figure. We've talked about this before, I think, but anyway, this was his eighth deep space nine episode. This was also though, at the point after we mentioned episode one, where Ira, Ira bear was the showrunner. He had been given the show by Michael pillar. Cause I think Michael pillar was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to run these shows anymore. I'm tired. And also there at pretty soon after deep space nine started, they started developing Voyager. So he was also helping develop that. But it is funny to note that season two, Ira Bear's direction was like, let's really distance this from next generation. And then in the third part of this trilogy, Michael Piller comes back in again, a veteran next generation writer. And he's like, let's next gen up this deep space night script yeah. a little bit. <laughs> um, so I'm not like disparaging him. I'm not like pointing out, uh, that I'm not suggesting he's like hacky or tropey or whatever. I'm just saying that this was his 22nd credited teleplay of Star Trek across Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. And that's on top of the dozens on, and of scripts he'd rewritten, the hunt that he didn't give himself credit for, hundreds of stories he drafted and revised in this like four to five year span. So he has a story sense, especially for Star Trek. And he was He's like, let's wrap up this trilogy and make it exciting, but also on time and on budget. Um, so I think that's why maybe both of us responded to this one a bit more than the other two, or like maybe sat up in our seats a little bit more. It was just like action and there was a bunch of stuff going on, but we'll get into it. In the grades, let's get going. <laughs> I do have one stray thought because it doesn't belong in great scenes. 
Okay. At the beginning of the episode, Cisco's telling everyone, you know, this is going to be dangerous, and, you know, a lot of us have connections to Bajorans. This lady here is engaged to a Bajoran. And then, well, this fella over here, his kid did a science project with a Bajoran kid. And it's like, those are two are not the same kind of stakes. <laughs> like, at all. And then the, the guy who's the father of the kid is like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, he's right. Yeah. And the other, <laughs> and the woman who's the fiance of the Bajoran looks like, like her life is ending. Like she's terrified. Yeah. It's just, it's very, it's a very strange thing to compare. Like we all have connections to Bajorans. This one's <laughs> going to marry the, marry one. And this one may have met a child once. <laughs> And you there, didn't you have a Bajoran food once? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, take it away, Kristen. Okay. Great scenes. Nog, I'm saying Nog and Jake saying goodbye when everyone, like the families are all um, evacuating. All the non-Bajoran families are evacuating. It's just like very sweet because they're kids and they're like, well, I'm sure we'll see each other again and like... The whole thing is, like, if you have a best friend or a friend, you just want to, like, be on the same bus as them. And I just thought it was cute. Yeah, I I liked the first scene where Cisco's making the false equivalency. <laughs> it's not a bad I, scene at all. It's just, yeah. it is a false equivalency. I They, they won it, top prize of the science fair. I think it establishes the emotional stakes of the story pretty nicely. It establishes all the stakes pretty nicely about what they're doing on the station. Also just showing the audience how far we have come watching the show and how they really have integrated together the Starfleet crew and Mm -hmm. the Bajoran crew. And it was a good moment for Cisco. It's not a moment you would have imagined him having in emissary where he's like, Oh, I want to get out of here as quickly as possible. I'm resigning. And he's like, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to hold the line until we can figure out a way to prove the Cardassians are involved in, in a coup. Um, so I, I like that scene. But the Jake and Nog scene was, I, I wrote down, what a great scene. And it, they felt like real kid friends. <laughs> yeah, even though Nog is probably played by a 32-year-old short person. but uh, f- A fantastic uh, attempt to pronounce coup d'etat by Ferengi. Also enjoyed that. In that great, movie. great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the average also, school, ch- the, the average American school child could not pronounce it correctly. <laughs> no, so. that's correct. So I actually put the first six scenes. So like you had the nog scene first, mm-hmm. and I had, the, I had the quark scene before that because you know Rom gets a lot more to do. Like he actually talks. Like it's like yeah. one of the main times. Like Rom's like having a moment, and he's doing what the audience is doing. I think I gasped even though I very much actually remember this episode more than the other two before I rewatched where Quark's like, people are desperate for seats. We can make money off of this. Yeah. It is one of his most despicable schemes because it is. his heart should, his it has nothing to do with this heart being in it. And that's what kills me. It's like, Quark, you're better than this. Come on. <laughs> but he's but, like, no, it's just what Frankie do. Yeah, so the next scene I put was then Quark getting busted selling the seats on the transport and then finding out Rom sold a seat to some lady he was banging. Yeah. Oh, Perfect. it's great. 
It's great when Odo brings him up to ops, though, <laughs> and and report tells him what's happening. And Cisco grabs him by the throat, not by the collar. He's yeah. got him by the throat. And I'm like, yes, that is the only appropriate response. <laughs> it's, yes. it's despicable. It's awful. <laughs> My husband walked in at that scene. He was like, why isn't Quirk in jail this whole time? I'm like, well, it's complicated. He did provide some very valuable information last episode. Yes, if not for him, they would not even be in a position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and prior to that moment, I just think uh, just the whole idea of planning about, well, how are we going to get this information to Bajor since that's the most crucial part of this plan? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, we can have we can. That's when Lee steps up. What's why I think Lee's actually it's his better performance because he has stuff to do. And so yeah. they give Lee Nollis the idea that he suggests to Kira, well, you go to this one moon and, and get one of these old sublight ships. And it's like, there's one still there. Okay. Well, maybe one of these evacuating runabouts can drop me off there. Um, uh, you, you didn't like the scene where Keiko was pissed at chief O'Brien for le for staying. No, that to me, I probably should have put that in worse Trek tropes, just in general uh, television. Keiko tropes. nagging chief. No, no, it's just, it's just the wife who, is upset that her husband has to work even though it's like <laughs> it's a little more serious work <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, no it's yeah she's saying it's so serious no, she, no but she's asking no she's acting like he just wants to stay late at the office for no reason or it's kind of like a life and death situation i didn't read it that way i read it as oh okay you could die this is yeah. very serious. Why aren't we going to be together? <laughs> he's the one that's giving it like, ah, he's responsible for my race. <laughs> it's like, yeah. or like he's the one that's bringing, I don't know. Okay. Well, I actually believe like she was vulnerable. It was a great performance for Rosalind Chow for a moment. And like, and the fact that they gave Molly some lines to, uh, are you coming with us, Daddy? Like, just the fact. <laughs> I still like that. It's like they felt like a family and how rare that we get to see I mean, them it's very real. It's like, yes, why aren't you real. coming with me? It's real, yeah. but it is a trope of, like, a lot of, like, British period pieces have that where it's wartime. I was watching some film. I can't remember the name of it. It came out recently, but, like, in the in the movie the man is like the personal assistant to neville chamberlain and there's like a summit with the nazis and then his wife's like i just don't understand why you can't be at home for dinner and i'm like oh bitch please like <laughs> shut up like that's so stupid like well, who do not... you think I just didn't read it as her discounting. No, it's not. A, yeah, no, she literally I, says they can have the gamma quadrant for all I care. We, I want us to be together as a family because we could die. Seems like you know that seems fair. Sure, it's just a trope I'm tired of. It's because it makes it seem like oh, this man is so important, and this lady's just like. Meh, 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 meh. So and, I, that and, was and then the audience one. is like, let him get on with Star Trek. Shut up. So I just don't. I don't like that. Trope. So that was not one of the 52 you enjoyed. No. 52 TV tropes. That you well, yeah, see. I assume they listed it, but who knows? I don't know. I don't, I don't read tvtropes.com. Also, just to jump back, the end of that scene where he's, Cisco has tried to strangle the life out of Quark mm -hmm. for being an asshole. 
they all like figure out what to do. Or then Cisco gets a call to go down to the airlock because there's an issue with all these passengers now. And then Quark is he throws out there, hey, Odo, you know, you'll miss me. Say it. And Odo's like, I'll miss you, Quark. <laughs> Quark can't believe he says it. And then he tells him to take care of himself. So that the scene yeah. somehow ends on a sweet note. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. Um, any other great scenes? I have a few. I have like four. Yeah, more. so I liked it when everyone's in the, um, what do you call it? Like the. At the airlock? Is it the airlock where everyone's like hiding and then Chief O'Brien only replicated um, combat <laughs> oh, in rations? The, in the conduits. And everyone's really yes. unhappy. Yeah, everyone's really unhappy. <laughs> I enjoyed it because I was like, ugh, damn it. <laughs> uh, that was a good moment. I remember that one very clearly. O'Brien being like perfect, nutritional balance, tastes uh-huh. good. Nailed uh, it. I feel great when I ate him. Yeah. And then we get a great line I, I'll reference later. But Bashir saying like, well, I, I'm not impressed. I made a candy bar that is just as healthy and tastes better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had uh, Lee Nollis coming in and calming down the panicked people at the airlock, the ones that were trying to get the Bajorans who were trying to get off the station. Mm-hmm. So Lee has the idea to go get the sublight ship. And then he calms down the Bajorans. He has that line is like, why are you running or whatever it is? And he's, you know, it just, and that whole scene is nice because he calms down the, the frenzied crowd. And then we see Cisco and Jake say goodbye. Cisco wrote Jake a letter, which Jake promises to read as soon as he gets on board. And then Jay, uh, Cisco's like, wait a minute. Uh, just wait a while to read it. Um, and then and then the ship leaves. And then that's when we see Ron, uh, Quark dragging his case of latinum going, wait, <laughs> I can't stay here. I'll be hung. And yeah. Rom sold the seat. So I thought that was a great scene. It was all uh, a lot of energy, a lot of movement, the hurry up to get away. Um, uh, yeah. And I really like the stuff and all the counter what is it called? The insurgency stuff, the guerrilla stuff that all mm-hmm. for the most part, most of those scenes are great. Well, yeah, I liked like, you know, the shootout that we had in, in on the promenade. Yeah. Where, you know, everyone's shooting. At each other. <laughs> well, yeah, for my yeah. money, it, the, it the, happened quite, it was quite long for me, my money. Cause actually that phaser fight for me didn't do much, but what I liked every scene between Kira and Dax was yeah. great. I loved mm-hmm. it. It's what made that makes the episode for me. It's what I definitely have remembered for 30 years. Don't forget, this is the 30th anniversary of this episode. So if nothing else, Terry Farrell being as beautiful as ever, uh, but also Kira in her element and actually having one over on this, you know, the clean, squeaky clean, you know, always has the tech to handle things. Starfleet person. She's like, I, this is nicer than the camps we used to stay in. But they have like three or four scenes together in this really tiny sublight ship that they're crammed into. And it's like these are two characters that it really popped when they put them together. The whole sequence and Kira schooling Dax on how to be a like a guerrilla fighter <laughs> in space was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole um, Kira and Dax stuff is really fun to me. Um, and I didn't put it in the best lines, but I also liked it when Dax, when uh, Cisco was like, Dax, has any of your past hosts know how to, I don't know the terminology, like fix the ship or whatever. She's like, yeah, this one guy, he had zero sex life, but he was <laughs> big time nerd mo. <laughs> he knew how to do some stuff. Yeah. 
Just not in the bedroom. <laughs> All right. I have two more great scenes for me. Do you have any more? No. Okay. I'm just going to say the lines for this scene. Quark, leave it. I can't leave it. It's all that I am. My personal mementos, my family album. It's filled with gold pressed latinum and you know it. Who told you? Your mother did the day you were born. Never make fun of a Ferengi's mother. Position number 31. Yeah. (laughs) Great moment. Bashir is great in this episode. This episode, I really think really flipped every character, the main cast. If you're on the fence or you didn't like them, I really feel like this is the episode that flips everyone over in the green. Yeah. Because I think Bashir was maybe someone people didn't really like. I think Dax, people like Dax just fine. And Kira, maybe some people liked her, but putting Kira and Dax together, right? Like that made Kira was great. Kira was great in this whole trilogy. I think, I think her character is really great. Uh, Nana visitor has a lot to do and I think she nails everything. So I know, but Bashir in this one really stood out as like, man, he nails every moment he's in. He's not that annoying. How'd they do that? (laughs) He did really well in this episode because usually he has some like weird, cringy thing to say. Yeah. Or do. And this one, he was just really on it. And then I liked the scene where Kira enters the Chamber of Ministers where she's got the pad with the evidence that the Cardassians are supplying the Krasari with the weapons that they're giving to the Circle. Um it's just like her vision, right? She goes into the chamber of ministers and, you know, bl- even uh Vedic wind says blasphemy, right? When, because what is this blasphemy? Cause they have to disguise themselves as Vedics to get through the city because of the lockdown. But when she gets there, Kira gets the Kirk Picard moment. She's like, this is a pad. Like she's like, like telling everybody <laughs> like, this is what this is. And if we go through with this, we'll be delivering ourselves right back into the hands of our sworn enemies. Like, and like she gets the moment and she delivers. Um, and then it gets all kind of like weirdly, like limply political and who cares. But it, I just thought it was a great scene for her in that moment specifically. Uh, best Trek tropes. So I put Ram and Cork. Odo just Cork. Them, them bickering. Oh. Yeah, like their <laughs> dynamic. Just yeah. their bickering dynamic. And like Corkoy is trying to sell Rom out for something or cheat him in some way. And then Odo and Cork's dynamic. And then Dax and Kira. Um, them trying to work together and it's just fun. I think this is the real start of their friendship. Like, that's not true because in the first episode, in The Homecoming, she calls her her friend and they have that whole exchange about mm-hmm. she's returning to Lotion. But I, this one, the pairing, it really like this. It was really electric. The two of them it was fantastic. Uh, any other ones? Um, yeah. So Odo turning into a tripwire. So yeah. anytime <laughs> that Odo turns into something, an inanimate, inanimate object, uh, it's it's amazing. It's just so good to me. I love it. Like he he's a tripwire. He also, he also like uh, oozes out of the wall. Yeah. I guess they they weren't avant-garde where technically he didn't really have to even be himself coming out of the wall. It could have just been a wall that they walked by and then two eyes come out of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he could have talked about him and weird though. Um, that's good. Yeah. I had that one. And I also had uh, fog machines and sparks and, <laughs> and several scenes. So, you know, it's serious. That's right. That's right. Um, it also looked like the sublight ship was on a gimbal. Maybe I don't recall the camera was shaking, but anyway, yeah, it was yeah. interesting. 
And I also have Hollow Sweets Sutterfuge. Oh, Maybe a right. new one, but I liked it. And then also um, my last one, Rule of Acquisition, 31 slash 21. Yes. Cork says it's 31, but then Bashir says it's 21. Never, uh, what was it? Reference never of, make fun of a Ferengi's mother. Never make mother. fun of a Ferengi's mother, yeah. Mother. The way he <laughs> says mother. Of a Ferengi's mother. mother. <laughs> Which we will learn is actually, they say Moogie. Which might just be a term of infection, <laughs> like mama or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, Bashir doesn't say it as twenty-one. It's just that moment where Cisco says, "Make sure they hear you," and Bashir says, "We'll make them think that there are two hundred people here instead of 20. And then he looks at Quark and he says, 21. That's why he says twenty-one." Oh, is that it? Okay, no, I'm sorry. That's why he said twenty-one. It's okay. Um, yeah, I had that one as well. So I had those uh, those last two you mentioned. I have Dax referencing past hosts, like you mentioned, Tobin Dax, the uh, the incel maybe or no Volcel uh, engineer pilot. Guy. <laughs> uh, I like whenever the Bajoran characters or whenever they reference the twenty six hour day. Uh, so, oh yeah. Uh, so Frank Langella says in twenty six hours, blah blah blah. Are you asleep yet? Um, but yes, uh, Cisco's baseball. Uh, when oh, yeah, when General Krim takes over his office after the Bajoran militia has boarded the station, wondering where everyone is. And then they see Cisco's baseball on there. And I like the way he was like, what is this? <laughs> his face. <laughs> and then anesthesine. Anytime they use anesthesine gas, knock him out. <laughs> yeah. And then this is this is my Dr. Bashir trope. I'm putting in the best trick trope. Dr. Bashir thinks he's cool. Or is it Dr. Bashir being a jerk? It happens in back-to-back scenes. Yeah. In back-to-back scenes, in the scene you mentioned, in the conduits, uh, when they're eating the rations after the Bajorans have boarded the station, the militia has, and then the sabotage program that they've installed kicks in. So the replicators are out, and they've got to eat these rations that O'Brien replicated at the last minute. Uh That's when Bashir mentions that in grad school, I developed a... Just as nutritious combat ration that tasted better. It was a candy bar. And then in the next scene, his unit has to go and confront like an approaching patrol and capture them. And they are like inspecting the cargo bay. And then you hear his voice. He goes, I wouldn't get too close to that. It's thorium isotope. And then he kicks off the vent, the screen to the vent. And he's pointing a phaser and he goes... (sighs) prolonged exposure could have very nasty consequences <laughs> and he's got this smug look of satisfaction it's our first hint that he might actually be into james bond which later on he'll do a hollow program for james bond but like uh. is he being cool or is he being a jerk it's hard to say with Dr. Bashir. <laughs> but he's definitely trying to be cool and that's yeah. the trope i think yeah trying to be impressive. i mean if you're gonna do a spy holodeck obviously you should do mission impossible and not james bond but that's just me that's just that's well, just now that's, you would yeah. yes me and brian don't like james bond so that's right by very strong yeah feelings. on record now would you do the uh rooftop run and jump with the holodeck safeties off that's well the... no you see i've already broken my ankle ah. before twice don't need that experience again i'm trying Unless to think it's like there... the running um, like on the Abu Dhabi uh, airport, I guess I could do that. Well, right. Well, the jump is the, yeah, that's the jump in the, in fallout is the crazier one. But like 
I'm trying to think, is there a Mission Impossible stunt I would do even on the holodeck where it was safe? Because I, I would not be hanging off an airplane. Okay, so I'm really, really afraid of heights, but I might do yeah. the skydiving thing if I knew what? it was going to be safe. With the lightning? No, I wouldn't do that either. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you just do it because Henry Cavill or a hologram. Yeah, no. Henry Cavill <laughs> Henry would be Cavill's jumping with there. Him. Yeah. You're like, I'll give him my oxygen. That's for sure. I'll be, you, so, know, you know what I would do? I'd do the, the scene of Fallout when it's three dudes in the in the bathroom stall. <laughs> Me, Henry Cavill, cool. and uh, it's fine. And then all the French guys come in and like go, hey, is there room for more? I would reload my forearms. And <laughs> they're needed. And I'm glad they didn't go like full homophobia, though, in, in Fallout. Whereas the French dudes were like, hey... Well, yeah, they just did. Can we get some I action mean, versus like, oh, gross, oh, yucky. <laughs> Why are there three dudes in there? Oh. How European. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To this day, watching the plane stunt, my hands just turn into like a pond. Just, it's not, it's just, it no, drives my, me, it's, my, it's insane. <laughs> the scene where Tom Cruise is scaling that building in... Which one the was it? Burj Khalifa in yeah. Ghost yeah. Protocol. Mm-hmm. To this day, like thinking about it too hard makes my palms sweat. Oh, it's ugh, ugh. are, are we going to have to do Hunt, Mary, Kill? <laughs> I feel like maybe. <laughs> I, you know what I would do? I would safely do with the holodeck safeties on. I would do the running away from the exploding fish tank in the first one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have no problem trying that out. Oh, like, my gosh. <laughs> I remember seeing like behind the scenes footage of that. on like entertainment tonight. Contemporaneously. They're like, and yeah, how this looks- water could pull him under and he could drown. Yeah, but let's be real. The real thing is, we all just want to take a mask off and reveal ourselves to be someone else. Oh my! Oh my God! That, that's what it is. That's great. And you have to, someone has to have the music ready. Da-na-na. Yeah, <laughs> every time. The perfect. Yeah, you need so, like a music supervisor there to be like, yeah, this one. So I don't, I don't trust the computer to know. So here's the problem we've just run into. They could do this on uh, on the new Star Trek shows. They could do this. They could just revisit this idea that one of the characters is into this property. Because unlike James Bond, which they couldn't call James Bond in the Deep Space Nine oh. one, they could do Mission Impossible because yeah, Paramount but, owns it. Yeah, but they, and they, don't could have say, they could even say it's the television show if they really wanted to. <laughs> Right. You know, avoid it. So I think I think anything Mission Impossible movie related, it has to go through Tom Cruise. But, but I don't know, maybe he likes Star Trek. Who knows? Probably not. Worst anyway. Trek trope. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving Worst on. Tre- <laughs> Worst Trek tropes. So this comes up occasionally on Star Trek. So the crew is worried about food and drink rations. But where are they going to go to the bathroom? That's the main, like... <laughs> You got to worry about that first before we're going to run out of food and water. No, you're going to have to pee or poop first before that. Before you die of thirst or hunger. You brought up in the first one when they called 
Cisco down to go look at the graffiti. You're like, how long is it even going to take for him to get there? You know, yeah. the station's massive, right? Chief uh-huh. O'Brien, I'm, you know what? I'm confident Chief O'Brien has secret bathrooms. Well, I'm that just saying was... they had like a bucket or something. Yes, a bucket. Or, yeah, okay. or you think they're just like, well, there's a bathroom over here that's never used. That's what I'm saying. I think in there. Uh, that's right. I know, but like, again, <laughs> there's no food stashed anywhere. I actually feel like that's why the phaser fight started. The one where they're pinned down in Odo's office. I'm like, someone was just going to the bathroom. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't do it. I can't be in the in the bunker here anymore. Sorry. Yep. Mine's close to yours. It's hiding in the conduits. Or like yeah. using the conduits to get through. It's like a huge security vulnerability in yeah. all these Star Treks. Like, I, mean, where are I they? don't mind on this one because they make it funny, but yeah. Yeah. Also, they, they explain it as the Cardassians shielded their conduits with something that makes it impossible for the Cardassians' own sensors to detect things in. That doesn't uh-huh. make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. It's dumb. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it, it so would have yeah. just been better to be the, the sensor array should have just been completely sabotaged or uh-huh. because they have a perfect reason. The sensor components are completely Starfleet and Starfleet took all of its technology like they didn't even pay off that line that Cisco has. Well, we've got to take all of our Starfleet tech at the end of episode two. And they could uh-huh. have just said all the sensor technology belonged to Starfleet. They took it all with them. We have to rebuild it from scratch or we have to, you know, react reactivate the old Cardassian one, which has been, you know, damaged or destroyed or whatever. And so we can't. They could have just done that. But instead we have to get the stupid hiding in the conduits. Anyway. <laughs> I only have one more, and it's not necessarily a trope specific to Star Trek, and it's very specific and nuanced, and I apologize in advance for that. But when they present the evidence that the Cardassians are uh, behind the coup. They No one even looks at the evidence. They just like immediately accept that, oh, she must be correct. And we, we lived through a coup in this country recently. And that's just not how it goes. Yeah, that's okay. So you are, I was on the fence. I wasn't sure where to put this either. And I just labeled it as. Very quickly. Let's be real. For a three-part ep- three episode, or three-part oh, yes. story. The last five minutes really cram a lot of stuff together there. Jeez, I was go- yeah. going to put this in rule uh, most of its time and just say the rule of law. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I will fully uh, yes. cooperate with any investigation. Bye-bye. Yeah. And yep. like runs off to Venezuela or whatever. Yeah, and Frank Langella is gone. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. I think the worst truck trope is maybe like you go in and you make a speech and it wraps everything up. Yeah. I mean, the bad they, version they, of they this. They not even about. viewed the evidence. It was just, right. here's a hard drive with the evidence. I guess here's what I can say. Because it was kind of what I didn't, I didn't bump on it so much as I was maybe surprised by it. And that is when Kira and Dax get to the moon Kira makes mention of like, I was in one of these places only a year ago. Uh-huh. So like all of this is very fresh. So I could buy just to not push back, but just like if, if I had to defend this in court for some reason, what you're saying of like, this is all happens very quickly. Why are they so open to this? If this is a cultural open wound and that's part of why there's even a coup at all, 
right? There's a lot of angry people, frustrated. They feel they see the inaction of their government while everything gets rebuilt. And it all makes that all makes sense that if someone comes in and that, a resistance person, a hero or not, it depends. It's, it all depends on how people look at people in the militia. But I think they just like she was one of us for sure. And she comes in saying she wasn't accusing anyone of working with the Cardassians. She was saying the Cardassians were providing the people that the party that was providing the circle with weapons. So mm-hmm. we are helping the Cardassians and we didn't know it. I, I yeah. guess what I'm saying is like just the idea of mentioning the Cardassians in that situation the, and the idea that someone would do that. Maybe that's the naivete of the nineties. Cause like now you could definitely see someone cynically doing it as like, well, what if the Cardassians, what if this is a false flag? You know what I mean? Like you yeah. could see it, it being a, in bad faith. No, reasoned. it's just, yeah, it, it, I guess for most of its time, like it's a poorly laid out coup in that they didn't control the media and the narrative beforehand and plant, you know, fake stories and all that. I mean, it does seem like it's, it's all, it's almost quaint in how pure of heart it is. It's yeah. just like, I, it's like, I don't like the direction of the government because we have this, we can't seem weak after what happened to us. And so I'm going to make us strong again. Like that's like the most simplistic. <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing that Jero Issa does that would suggest he's especially cruel. Right. He's not a mustache twirling villain. You know what I mean? Like he's just like, I want to be in power and I'm going to, I need, I need Lee Nollis to be alive because he is a hero. I, I don't deny that to the people. I just want to be on top. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. It's very pure hearted in that way. Um, it's kind of hard to like, well, who's the bad guy really in this? Um, but I guess we don't really get any deeper than that, but I agree with you. Cause I was like, where do I put this? But you're putting in tropes. That's good. Yeah. So most of it's time quality. I only have one thing and that is the puppet spider dog thing in the spirit Halloween set. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> the most cobwebs you've ever seen in your life. It's like haunted house, a crypt keeper, haunted house. Uh, Indiana Jones uh, cobwebs. <laughs> they actually just shot that in a spirit Halloween at uh, one of the stages. Yeah. They I mean, didn't I think rent yeah. it one time. Or like maybe they were, they uh, had some leftover props from Indiana Jones and whatever the last movie came out. Yeah. But yeah. We have extra cobwebs. Do you guys need them? <laughs> yes. That, you know what? That just reminded me. Another worst Trek trope. They didn't do a visual infect, an inspection of that ship, Dax and Kira, uh-huh. before they took off. Just, like, you know, just, just walk it. around it one time. Yeah, they just got right in it. <laughs> yeah, you got to kick the tires. And, Dax yeah. didn't no, like just, scan just it with the tricorder being like, this, this hole, the fra- hole is fractured here and here. <laughs> or, like, or she could have just said like, oh, it's space worthy with her tricorder and whatever. Anyway, so, uh, but yeah, that's. I don't know. I like the Paluku. It's so rare we get to see any sort of creature work on Star Trek. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. No, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. Like the creature work is of its time, though. All right. I I feel like this most of its time is coming from the top rope. Okay. General Krim, we met in the last episode that was played by the actor Stephen Macht, who was, I mentioned, the runner up for Jean-Luc Picard and in the running for Cisco at one point. Uh Didn't get it. You kind of see why after watching him in two episodes, his lieutenant or his second, his man in this episode, 
uh, General Day is his name, I believe. Colonel Day is his name. Played by the actor Steven Weber. And I declare there is <laughs> there are few actors more 1990s than Steven Weber. Yeah. So, uh, he was on the long-running NBC series Wings, a show I never watched. I chose not to watch it because yeah, anytime I, I jumped by it, it was just dripping with, who is this for? Why would anyone watch this? Tony Shalhoub was in it. it yeah, ran it wasn't for you or me. 172 episodes, yeah. 1990 to 1997. So Steven Weber, no more 90s, uh, most of its time actor than Steven Weber. Uh, ironically to me, he wound up playing, uh, he wound up in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, Aaron mm. Sorkin's triumphant <laughs> return to television. I watched all three episodes. There were 22, they had a whole season. Oh, oh okay. I watched, I watched three episodes. <laughs> uh, and he played what is effectively the... Billy Crudup role in the morning show on Apple TV plus mm. unbelievable. The, the parallels there. And, and I've only watched one episode of the morning show and I won't be watching any more of it, but I've never um, watched a single episode. Yeah. Um, are you from, do you remember when um, Rob Lowe left the West wing? Sure. And they gave him his own show called the lion's den or something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? So they knew they were going to get canceled. Do you know how that show ends? The Lions then? No. Yeah. Okay. Oh, great story. Okay. So it's just like a lawyer procedural thing, like a political lawyer procedural. And then like, well, I guess we're getting canceled. And then they just went off the fucking rails in like the last handful of episodes. It's revealed that the Rob Lowe character is like a serial killer. What? <laughs> yeah. And you can't find, it's impossible to find like old DVDs of this. You're kidding. No, I've, I tried. I've been trying for years to get a, a, a DVD, like a region free DVD of this, so I could watch the whole thing. There was like, like it was like the past, like the the last two episodes, like he was killing, like there was like a murders, I guess, but then like the last couple episodes, he was just like murdering people or something. I don't even know if the if the final episodes aired, but they're on the DVD, and I think it might it's maybe a thing where it, was, it only aired. It's not on. It's not on eBay. It yeah. I I look when I found this out, like I want to say at least eight nine years ago, I tried finding it, and it was it was impossible, if not like extremely expensive, and I would have to get and get like a special DVD player or something because it wasn't in our region, and okay, definitely so not online. 13 episodes, a lot of West Wing carryover here for sure. Mm -hmm. Kyle Chandler's in it. Wow. Okay. So the canceled series on November 30th due to low ratings. So only six aired before it was canceled. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob Lowe later stated that after finding out about the show's cancellation, he and the show's producers decided to make the last episodes, which they were contractually obligated to make as absurd as possible, including <laughs> a quote off the wall and freakish ending. And now I'm scrolling down to the bottom of the Wikipedia page. Cancellation and improvised ending. Lowe said in a May 9, 2014 appearance on the NPR radio game show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, that he and the show's producers purposely made 
all 13 episodes, which they were contractually obligated to make for possible DVD distribution, as absurd as possible. The last episode ended with Lowe's character being exposed as a serial killer by (laughs) Chandler's character, whom he then kills before jumping to his death from the firm's (laughs) office. (laughs) (laughs) But like up until now, they were trying to have it be like a serious show. Uh, it went like full Hannibal <laughs> with no like like no pretext whatsoever. It's just like, yeah, okay. Wild times in uh in uh early two thousands TV folks. This is why I love television though. That is yes, like, that is why TV is so great and the idea that it's going away or being fractured or changed is just it's disheartening. Definitely not going away because all these streaming services aren't making any money. So they had their that's, time. That's true. I hope, I hope it comes back. I like when it turns into like a, I, I guess I want to say fraternity, but I, I always liked when other shows would comment, like I don't need the prestige shows getting involved in this, but I would like when other shows would reference other shows. Like, Do you remember cute, when wink, wink, there wink. was an episode of 30 rock with um, Matthew Broderick and he was mixing a drink in, in Jack's office and it was like olives wine and i forget what the third thing is and he called it an old spanish and then like a year later on mad men someone ordered an old spanish which is it was just purely a reference to that <laughs> like that's the kind of stuff i love like it's it's so great yes and, and then like, got- the production schedule of mad men means that like yeah. it was probably like two years after it aired and then you've got like <laughs> I forgot about that. And then you've got the overt <laughs> ones where like uh community has a whole scene about Cougar town and then the Cougar town <laughs> obliges and all that stuff. It's just great. But also just all this wacky stuff that happens when you have to make the show. If yeah. People know what, what there's like production is a train that does not stop. You have to have your scripts ready to go. Otherwise the train is just going to run you over and yes, shows have shut down before because they've run out of stuff to shoot. That's how people get fired. Uh, they also shut down when it's just not working. Um, the West Wing after Aaron Sorkin left was one of those two things happened because they definitely shut down. Um, no one got fired, though. But anyway, yes, that's why. Yeah, my stepmom worked on that show. So Is that? Yeah, my stepmom worked on that show. Oh, OK. Yeah, there's so, a picture of me in the fake office on the red phone. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Get saying, get my beta Saron. I have MS. No, I was I was <laughs> screaming a nuke them. <laughs> All this of is them. Six year old Kristen. <laughs> yeah, I was five years old. They were so nice. <laughs> so that's what I mean. That's why Trek Mary Kill I feel really works for the shows and. That's why I struggle with the animated stuff because it's like not really involved in that as much because uh-huh. making TV is like its own thing. It's like a very specific kind of sausage. You know, it's from the TV region of America, right? So, yeah. it's like, uh, so that that's what really captivates me is when you learn this stuff, like there is stuff to learn under the surface, like what's in front of the camera it can be interesting, but sometimes the stuff behind it is just as or it heightens what's going on. So um, I love it. Oh, it makes me so happy. I'm so glad we took that detour. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, Thanks, Weber. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, the uh, the two, line must be drawn here. I have I have two more quick ones. Oh, sorry. In your favorite scene, the fight, the phaser fight. Remember when the remember the dude who sets off the smoke bomb? Yeah. What the hell is that guy wearing? The pink shirt, the high waist white pants. That's a look. Casual the wardrobe. The wardrobe on this episode was fucking bonkers. <laughs> Nothing fit anybody right. Like. What the general's outfit looked bad on him. I mean, nothing was was clicking except for the main cast, yeah. and even that was like. Eh. And also, yeah. I was so when um, Chief O'Brien is with his wife and daughter, I was like, "Oh dang, are they are people still putting their little girls in tights <laughs> everywhere they go?" Because I, when I was a little girl, I was in tights all the time. And I now have a child, and I'm like, "How the hell do you change in a diaper or like?" potty training a kid when with tights on so i I, apparently yes everyone's wearing tights in the future cannot fathom (laughs) every time tights all the time i'm putting this here and maybe you can uh correct me here so lee nollis and cisco have a scene together in the conduit in the crawl space and and uh, lee nollis says i would die for my people and cisco's like sure he would that's the (laughs) two off the hook but would you live for your people? I swear to God, that's the first time I ever heard that idea. And yeah. I was like, I was so captivated by it. And I feel like it's now a pretty common, popular counter notion to, you know, I'll die for my people or I'll die for this reason. But it is harder to stick with it mm-hmm. and, live, and live the struggle. Yeah, I put in that a- in um, best lines. So, okay. yeah, it's like, it's easy to die. Yeah. Okay. The line must be drawn here. Great lines. That's great. That was the best I could do. That's good. That was like warp four. Gotta have to warp yeah. four. <laughs> That's as excited I get for anything. So at the beginning when Quark is considering selling Rom's seat for money, he says, It would have to be the deal of a lifetime. And then Rom says, yeah, my lifetime. <laughs> How come you delivered that better than the line must be drawn? Yeah. <laughs> I, can't I guess it's, I have a hard time being earnest. I that's see. what it is. So, yeah, that's the problem. Uh, keep going. Um, and then the one that we just talked about, are like the question is, are you willing to live for your people? And there's probably a bunch of others, but I um, didn't write them down as usual. Okay. The Nog and Jake scene. Has there ever been one of your kind and one of my kind who are better friends? Never. Mm. And if fathers couldn't break us up. No stupid coup de, coup de coup d'etat. It's French. No stupid French thing will either. <laughs> we'll, we'll see each other again soon. That's a promise. I really like that. Also, no stupid yeah. French thing in the Deep Space Nine font would be a cool shirt, maybe. <laughs> um, no stupid French thing. <laughs> French thing. Is Nog, actually, wait, is Nog actually played by a 30-year-old? He has passed away, Aaron Eisenberg. Oh. He was born in 69, so this is 93. Uh-huh. So that's 23, 24. He was 24. Okay. Yeah, and he died at 50. I feel like it's, it's, he does such a good job, though. Oh, he's great. And um, I like how Jake is just getting taller and taller <laughs> through the seasons. It's like 
he's not going to fit in that onesie you guys got him in anymore. That's right. Okay. He needs to have a two piece outfit. I did like Keiko. Yeah. I did like Keiko O'Brien's line. They could have the whole gamma quadrant for all I care. And I'm sure as a kid, I was like, Keiko, you simply don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's why I don't (laughs) like those scenes because in things like this, where you, the, the viewer knows the stakes and so it's like, you can't, like, it doesn't come off great for the female character. There's always I a female character. It's never a male character going, well, I don't understand why you have to stay here. Like, it never well, she, happens. She got dragged there, right? Like, she didn't want to be there either. And sure, she, but she wants to keep this family together. And he's saying, like, hey, listen, you've got to go away when I don't know when I'll get to you next, if I'll get back to you again, how long this is going to last, all that stuff. And she's like, well, I didn't sign up for you being like on a, on a front line. I signed up for you to be the chief of operations where we can live <laughs> and work. And now you're saying you're going to like form a counterinsurgency with your bros. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying she's not justified. I'm just saying I don't like that trope because it just turns into you know, nagging lady. Yeah, well, she's... Because most of the viewers are like, shut up, just let him go to the... He's gonna stay. (laughs) So before I had Lee Nollis' line wrong a little bit, uh, when everyone's clamoring to get on the shuttle, the other Bajorans, and he walks in, he goes, where are you running to? This is Bajor. We are Bajorans. We fought a war to regain our homeland. How can you abandon it like like frightened Cardassian Vol? These... Ships are for our guests who must leave because no longer safe for them. However, we are Bajorans, and I say that we stay and we solve our own problems together. Are you willing to join me? So uh-huh. I like that. That was good. Jero Issa's line about Lee Nollis when he's talking to General Krim. General Krim's on the station being like, we can't find these guys. It's a big station. Jero <laughs> um, Issa's like, We'll find him. Daddy's a martyr. Alive, he secures our victory. It was like the one good line delivery he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. And then I love when Kira and Dax are on the ship. And it's I think it's the second scene once Kira, once Dax gets the engine going and she quietly thanks Tobin for helping her out. Kira goes, she has like a, a flashback. She goes, oh, listen to that sound. That sure brings back some memories. Can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> what Ugh. memories that could have potentially brought back? Ugh. I like their delivery, though. Um, the To your point. Like or, drinking Goldschlager brings back <laughs> memories, but I wouldn't say. Oh, I'm not saying they're good memories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jagermeisters. <laughs> Cisco to all units. You can thank Chief of Operations Miles O'Brien for your repast this afternoon. This is after Brian's gushing <laughs> about the the rations he replicated. Um, I love that scene. Yeah, I love Cisco saying, "Well, some French onion soup would have been good." Yeah, like for <laughs> um, real though. Are you gonna get a little crock of soup? Yeah, in the bunker. <laughs> Who's got the crock? Maybe it's sat like Who's a, got the crock? A, a coke monsieur, perhaps. I'm calling you Ensign Crockpot. Come here. <laughs> no, like a little, little, like those little soup crocks, not a crockpot, like a those little tiny soup bowls that have like a little handle. Okay. You know what I'm talking like, about? So, like to make I'm French onion soup, giant you, mugs. Well, it's no, it's not a mug, but it has like a hand, like a like a pan handle, like. It sticks out, but it's not like the handle of a mug. 
So like yeah. it's like that. So you put the soup, the French onion soup in, and you put your crouton, and then you put on top the um, Gruyere cheese, and then you have to stick it in the oven to melt it really quick. And then you have to pull it out, so it needs a handle. And then they get caught because they're they're putting the cheese on. They're doing all this. Mm-hmm. Stuff. So it's 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 an impractical meal, Cisco. I'm sorry. I mean, unless you want crummy, you want it mushy and you know whatever. You want the crouton to be completely disintegrated. Fine. And then my last two great lines. Uh, another line where they're in the ship, Kira and Dax, and they're fighting the the Bajoran militia ships that have engaged them. And Kira thinks that they've gotten away and Dax is relieved for the time being. And then Kira goes, there's just one problem. The guys flying those ships used to be the guys flying these ships. Good stuff, mm-hmm. good delivery. And then Cisco, I think he has not the line of the episode, but it was like very sweet and, and great. Um, and Kira's depressed that Lee Nollis is dead. And um, she's like, who's going to lead us now? We don't have any heroes. And Cisco says, Major, there are heroes all over Bajor. I'm sitting with one. Yes, that's right. She saved the day. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Uh, and she's too bummed to. Uh, and to I have to that. say, I do like that Cisco doesn't reveal to Kira or to O'Brien, O'Brien. Lee Nellis's actual thoughts about his, you know, quote unquote hero status. Right. He just but lets them believe that he was great. The man who, for some reason, was living a lie and regret and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> The Anton Critian Award for Best Performance. You have so to I go put, first because I've got I, Blink. Oh, I put Avery Brooks as Cisco because I felt like he had some really great lines and also just had like a good tone the whole time. I yeah, yeah I just felt like he did such a good job compared to a lot of other people. Um, there's some other honorable mentions. I think I think Kira always does a good job on these kind of like Bajoran type stories. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I thought our main cast were solid to great, pretty much. I think they all had their moments. O'Brien's very happy to be eating that ration. So happy. He's so He's waiting for this since the last time he was in a, a trench or whatever. Bashir is so smug. I'm in yeah. a candy bar. <laughs> I'm putting a phaser at you. Um, mm-hmm. Quark is he has Quark runs the gamut of emotions at this one. He's elated, he's profiting, he's he's, he's gasping for air. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Uh it's good. Yeah, I'll go with that, Avery Brooks for sure. That scene with Lee Nollis really is like it's like, yeah, that's a good challenge. There's no there's uh, it's a nice moment. They had they had two good moments in this in this uh trilogy, I thought. So mm-hmm. Next, it's time for the Shatner. And I don't have anything because you know what? It was, we have, I think we have um, several candidates. Oh, well, I, I'm i surprised that there's any other person that you would consider beyond Stephen Weber as Colonel Day. <laughs> that is a I Federation like lie. wasn't great either, but. He was uh, not great. But either, he wasn't going for it, I guess. But yes, so I guess perhaps you're correct. Odo, Odo, the shapeshifter. He is not accounted for. <laughs> um, I mean, we could give it to, and also the the operations uh, militia person, organic material. <laughs> like maybe it's just all the, the, you know, the shatter goes to all the Bajor militia. And you know what? It should go to them because 
they were completely outmatched. Yeah, the entire Bajoran militia was not going for it, though. So do we still give it to them? No, they were going for it. They were trying to punch oh. above their weight. So the actors were trying to go for it. They were trying to make the Bajorans the heavies. I mean, but yeah. look, the Federation, the Starfleet people rinse them in guerrilla <laughs> tactics. Yeah. And what should be their home turf. The Bajoran yeah, militia should time. be expert guerrilla tacticians. They should know mm-hmm. that station. They act like they've never been there before. They don't know any of these people. It's very weird. They and turned off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> Are it's we like, going to do anything? It's kind of like buffoonish almost how they make the Bajoran militia. And it's just like, you never see a moment of like, these people fought the Cardassians? How did they survive? Yeah, And like, how do you, so like in normal warfare, you don't expect to capture like a fort or a base and expect everything to be working. Right. I mean. Yes, zero contingencies. That's great. I think they were thinking. Well, I can't believe the sensor array isn't working. Like, well, what the? I think, think they thought happen? that the Federation are like, you know, puppies. Above that? No. But yeah, above that or, yeah, exactly. Well, no, they are not. They've never watched Star no. Trek. They don't know. <laughs> well, again, underestimating Cisco too. Yeah. Um, of course, he cut and run. They just assume he left, yeah. Does that sufficiently encapsulate all your nominees or is there someone else outside yeah, the yeah no it's just like okay. there's just like every general like uh you know day player was just like uh yeah what part of this are they teaching at start the academy maybe or maybe not the ferengi rules of acquisition uh, rations to avoid or encourage what bashir did yeah I don't know. <laughs> well, we've already established that there's racism against the Ferengi. Yeah, no, <laughs> we already know that. They, they spend a lot of time being like, be careful, them. You know, if you really want to get under their lobes, insult yeah. their mother. Say something nasty about their mothers. I mean, that's pretty Which, universal, though. Yeah, it's not like unique <laughs> to them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I, put I mean, the you could do that to me, and I'd be like, well... <laughs> Fair, we've already, we've already had this conversation. I don't even know you, so shut up. <laughs> I can say it, but you can't. <laughs> uh, I would say the guerrilla tactics or sabotage of Starfleet equipment in military engagement scenarios. So it's like, mm-hmm. so if your sensor array has been overtaken by the villain, here's how to make sure they can't use it. See, <laughs> I don't know. Is that uh, your Starfleet Academy instructor voice? For this episode, it is. Yes. So <laughs> maybe it's the Carol Kane uh, character from Strange New Worlds. Okay. <laughs> Very good. You yeah. figured that out without help. any help. <laughs> and then you use the house sweets. And then they, they think look- that it's you, but it's not. Then you have tricked them into thinking you're one place you are not. <laughs> uh, also, runabout passenger management. You got you got three runabouts um, that have to evacuate yeah. the station. Oof. That's that's like a Tetris situation you've got to figure out in those in those uh runabouts yeah they, i mean they need to institute some kind of wristband situation <laughs> but also like you have to make room for the equipment right the equipment that they're taking with them so it's like uh-huh. it's not just the people so it's like i'm sure that all that has to be figured out that's a logistical nightmare i'm sure starfleet teaches in some at some level all right i'm, I'm out could this episode have been hornier 
And would that have made it better? I'm going to say, yes, it could have been hornier. I don't think it would necessarily have made it better. I'm on the fence about it making it better, but obviously, yes, it could have. We have a lot of characters in close quarters in this one. Uh-huh. You've got everyone in the conduits on top of each other. And then you've got Kira and Dax basically crammed into that into that little tube. Oh, so you're saying that they should have just had sex? No, well, like one <laughs> awkward climb over or reach okay. over. And okay. like a moment where they're very close to each other. And that would have been, I think, the appropriate... Some intimacy. Yes, the appropriate level of horniness <laughs> that uh, that would have worked for the episode. Mm, so. Okay. Or like one of the Bajoran, like, you know, Lee Nollis getting too close to a starstruck Bajoran woman or something. I don't know. So, um, yeah, could, but I don't think it would necessarily made it better. Yeah. Like a noticeable difference. So, Ryan, Trek, Mary, or Kale? I'm going to give this a strong Trek. Me too. Like, this was my favorite of the three. Um, it's just got so much going on, and the guerrilla warfare, the subterfuge, the ruses, the, you know, escape stuff, the dressing as the religious leaders uh, with um, Kira and Daxter having to dress as religious leaders to bust in on the council meeting or whatever. I liked all that. Almost our Mission Impossible moment. Almost. When, they, when they're in the costume. <laughs> yeah. She takes it off and, oh, arrest that woman. <laughs> it's Ethan Hunt. One of the tropes, he literally says, guards, stop them. That's the trope is guard uh-huh. sees them. So there's another joke. Sees them. <laughs> but yes, I, I'm surprised rewatching these as many times as I do before this show. Like, oh, this one I enjoyed watching very much the first time, like just putting it on mm-hmm. for the rewatch. I'm like, Oh, this is good. But it, there, I, I guess I kind of do feel there is a sort of an emptiness to it, which is why I don't think it's a Mary. I don't mm-hmm. know that it emotionally quite pays off the set. I, I think had the ending been a little bit less like it was, it could have been a spectacular episode, but it was just yes. like, do, 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 do. Okay. Yeah. Everyone's fine. Bye. Do you- Steven Weber gets mad that he lost and he tries to uh-huh. kill Cisco and Lee Nollis jumps in front of the, the face yeah. of blast. And he's like, I'm off the hook. <laughs> That's right. That, which was a pretty solid last line. Uh-huh. I think. Um, good. You know, I'm glad that Lee Nollis actually is good in one of these episodes because yeah. it, it's very troubling. He rose he to the occasion. Yes. He's and now he gets so, to be a martyr. Yeah. He puts you to sleep in the first one. He's largely absent in the second one. And then I think in this third one, he's really good. I actually think I'm going to say really good. Maybe the performance, the performance is certainly the best, but maybe of the three episodes, but maybe that's because the material, he has some, something to do. Great. Thanks for listening next week. Just in time for the major league baseball playoffs. I'll be warping ahead to deep space Nine's seventh season to play Trek, Mary kill with the baseball episode of star Trek take me out to the hollow suite and I'll be joined by special guest, Michael Bauman, a national baseball who, writer, who, by the way, who may or may not be in my NFL fantasy league. I have confirmed. He is not in your fantasy. Oh, football it's league. a different yes. Michael Bauman. It is a different Michael Bauman. Well, other Michael Bauman, if you're listening, <laughs> good luck this week. Traitor, Travis, Trevor, Kelsey. Was he like, Travis what Kelsey? the hell are you talking about? Yeah. yeah Travis Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> Travis Kelsey. <laughs>
so he, Michael Bauman, on our show for Fangraphs, he is a baseball writer. He also interviewed Deep Space Nine showrunner Iris Stephen Bear about Take Me Out to the Hall of Suite back in 2018. So uh, check that out. He'll have some insight there. And uh, we'll talk about baseball and Star Trek, which, you know, again, as a as a teenager, two of my favorite things, my peanut butter and my chocolate put together. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Uh-huh. Um, Cisco's even wearing a San Francisco Giants hat, my favorite Is baseball he? team. I, I yeah. nearly blacked out as a teenager when I saw that. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was too much, too uh, unfathomable to, to believe. Did you, anyway. did you stand up and start running around the house? No, I, I kind of like stumbled back because I think I was watching Ooh. them at the at like the foot of my bed or on the floor mm-hmm. uh, against the bed looking up. But I think... On that one, I was like kind of maybe standing up and I stood back and I, I was like maybe like folding clothes and putting it away. And I like was like, what? <laughs> what <was laughs> Good stuff for me personally and only me. For you personally, uh, yeah. Yes. If this was a good one for you, though, listener, be sure to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Helps boost our visibility and search recommendations. Uh, so give us five stars if you're so inclined. You can also do it right there in your Spotify app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us online on Twitter and Instagram, TrekMaryKpod, and check out our website, TrekMaryKillPod.com, where you can see how many Treks, Marys, and Kills we've given to Deep Space Nine and all the other shows. So until next week, TMK out. Bye.